Warning, the following presentation is rated R for Reformed. All theological content will be accompanied by the five solas, strong and explicit Calvinistic language, persuasive argumentation, and repeated references to sovereignty. This episode may be dangerous for your Arminian friends and family. You have been warned. Alrighty, <clears throat> greetings and welcome to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mullet. Uh, you can visit our website at logicalbelief.org. Uh, you can find these podcasts on YouTube and also on iTunes. Uh, you can just subscribe to our feeds there. Um, if you uh, visit our website and you want to see all the podcasts, uh, you can just click on podcast in the top menu bar. You can see all of them listed there. Uh, we're going on to, I believe this is the 17th episode uh, so you can look back and see what we've discussed in the past, um, everything from Jehovah's Witnesses to atheism to the doctrines of grace. Uh, we're ending that series today. Um, if you also uh, have a word of encouragement that you want to give me or any questions that you want me to read on the air, you can drop me a line at jason at logicalbelief.org. Uh, just be aware, however, by emailing me. Uh, that you are giving me permission to read it on the air. All righty. Well, uh, before we get started, I, I did want to, uh, to just uh, briefly mention and talk about uh, some of the happenings over the last few days. Um, this uh, attack by radical um, Islam on uh, the country of France. And our uh, prayers go out to... Um, image bearers of God and the families of those who uh, who died in um, in uh, France due to this uh, horrific act of act of violence. But uh, what I want to talk about is that for those of you out there that that think that uh, Islam is a peaceful religion. And that there's just a few whack jobs out there that uh, are taking the Quran and taking the Hadiths and um, and taking them to a, a place where they were not intended um, uh, to be is uh, is just patently false. Um, the the Quran, uh, the Hadith, the even the the life and acts of Muhammad himself uh, would testify otherwise that this is a proper representation of what Islam really is. And those peaceful Muslims out there, and there are peaceful Muslims, uh, absolutely. There are Muslims out there um, and believers in Islam who do not engage in these things. They are horrified by them, uh, absolutely. Uh, I do acknowledge that. However, they are not consistent with their own religion. Um, in the same way as uh, moderate Christians, um, today liberal Christians who claim the name of Christ uh, but yet don't live their life in any way as if the truth uh, of Scripture or as if Scripture was actually true. So <clears throat> the uh, peaceful Muslims out there are just living inconsistently with their professed worldview. Um, the other thing that I want to note is that our current modern society has so much adopted a secular worldview, a postmodern worldview, that they have no foundation or basis on which to even address radical Islam. Um, 
they have no ability to address it in a meaningful fashion or a meaningful way. Once you deny that there's any sort of absolutes and you hold to the axiom that, you know, what's true for you is true for you and what's true for me is true for me, then you have no basis and, or you have no foundation left by which to tell radical uh, Muslims that what they're doing is, is horrific and wrong. And uh, what they're doing is, uh, is objectively wrong. And killing other image bearers of God is objectionable and that there's any reason for not doing it. If, if it's just a bunch of rearranged pond scum running around um, and just bags of protoplasm bouncing on the surface of this accidental ball of uh, dirt flying through space, then who cares if one bag of stardust knocks off another bag of stardust? So the postmodern, secular, um, atheistic-leaning worldview that so much of modern society has and westernized world has, 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 has no foundation, has no way to deal with this sort of radical movement. Um, they they are opposed to it because um, they are image bearers of God, but they cannot make any objective uh, claims for why this is wrong in any way. And so that's why it's difficult. And that's why you still see, in spite of all these horrific attacks, you still have people out there in the media claiming that Islam is a peaceful religion. It's just, it's just absurd um, on its face that after all this violence, after all this uh, terrorist activity over the last uh, 20, 30 years, that anyone can actually say that and keep a straight face. So uh, that's really <laughs> all I have to say about that. Um, so let's uh, transition here. All righty, we're back here. Uh, what we're going to be discussing today um, as the intro um, to the podcast demonstrated is that uh, we are going to be finalizing and finishing up our series on the doctrines of grace. And uh, the one that we're going to be discussing today is the perseverance of the saints, P in tulip. And I want to go ahead and start it off by giving a definition to what perseverance of the saints is. Uh, we're going to talk about um, the importance of this particular doctrine and where I, I believe that this here particular doctrine is <clears throat> is the place where we should actually even have a dividing line uh, on um, whether we fellowship with other professing Christians or not and we'll get into some of the details on that but uh, I think this is a very very important doctrine uh, we'll go into some scriptures uh, that demonstrate um, God preserving his saints and um, and then we'll uh, we'll end it with a uh, presentation on a logical fallacy, which is utilized by many of those who um, 
who deny the perseverance of the saints of God. So uh, that's what we'll be doing today. So to start off with, what is the perseverance of the saints? For those of you that are not familiar with this uh, term, um, this doctrine, and this is once again, um, for those of you that have been following on this series, uh, this particular definition is on the article on the website entitled, Is Calvinism Biblical? So if you want to go ahead and uh, plug that into the search field, it'll also be linked in the show notes um, on this particular episode on the website. But uh, if you go to that article, you'll see the definitions um, that I've written for all of the particular uh, doctrines which make up the doctrines of grace. So the perseverance of the saints, uh, this doctrine teaches that God will persevere all of his elect to the end. It teaches that the elect of God will continue in the faith till the end of their life because their faith is a gift from God and Christ is mediating and interceding for them. So, uh, this doctrine is sometimes called eternal security, um, is is another uh, term that's that's used for it. Um, I am am fine with that particular uh, uh, term. Um, However, it it has been abused in some cases, but it would simply say that that the saints of God, those who are definitely regenerate, who demonstrate true faith in Christ, are eternally secure in Christ, and that he loses none of all that the Father has given to him, and and he will raise it on the last day. And so... So I've I've got no problem with that particular term. Um, you can use the term eternal security. I personally prefer perseverance of the saints because uh, that way we can put the focus on why the saints uh, persevere. It's because God is the one who perseveres them. Um, in Ephesians chapter two, it says after it after it lets us know that as by grace we have been saved through faith, and it's not of our doing, it our own doing. It's the gift of God. It, it tells us that um, we are walking in the works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So if we are walking in the works of God, if we are walking in the ways of God and following him and putting our faith and trust in Christ, it is because God has established those works beforehand that we should walk in them. So it is God who perseveres the saints of God. And it is him and by his grace that that is accomplished. And so while the believer is eternally secure and he can have assurance that he has eternal life, um, it is also God that continues to sanctify him and continues to um, persevere him to the end. And one of my uh, favorite verses, um, actually before we even go on to that, I I do want to talk about, as I said, the, <clears throat> I, I believe, the importance of this doctrine. Uh, there are many groups out there that would deny the doctrines of grace, but that would affirm eternal security. And I think, and I believe, that while they are inconsistent, um, uh, many of them uh, would hold to that God has graciously saved them, that it wasn't their own doing, that it was a gracious gift of God, even though they would, I would say they're inconsistent in this, um, but uh, they they do genuinely believe that. 
and they believe they actually possess eternal life and it is not their own continued works that maintain their status and their position with God. They understand that justification was a forensic act that occurred in the past and that God is continuing to sanctify them. He is preserving them and they have eternal security um, in Christ. Now, a church that teaches that, um, I can I can fellowship with them. I can um, I can uh, evangelize with them. <clears throat> and I, I don't I think that uh, that is a place where um, I can I can join in with them, even though they may not affirm wholly the rest of the doctrines of grace, even though it's it's amazing. Um, even those that would deny that they're Calvinists in any way. Um, w when you start questioning them on things like the atonement, uh, questioning them on, on God's grace and their salvation, many of the things that they would affirm would be really the doctrines of grace would be Calvinism. Uh, they just don't, they don't recognize that there's, there's many people that out there that just don't even know what Calvinism is. It's been, uh, straw and misrepresented so much that, um, many people out there that deny it and reject it don't even really know what they're denying or rejecting. And so, so I, I think I can fellowship with uh, with those that are inconsistent, especially if they affirm this particular doctrine. And this is very common among like Southern Baptists, Southern Baptists, uh, many of the groups. Now there are Southern Baptists that are Calvinistic, but uh, there's many, uh, probably a majority that are not. But yet they would still affirm uh, the perseverance of the saints, eternal security, and. Um, and and we can I can definitely fellowship with that that group and uh, and where I start uh, drawing the line where I would say that we as Christians should break fellowship is with a particular group that denies the security of the believer that denies that God perseveres his saints till the end um, if they if they deny that if they say that you can lose your salvation then the question I would have. Um, is if you're saved right now, if you're saved today, why are you saved? Is it your continual action and your works that keep you saved? Because obviously it's something that you uh, uh, either stop doing or start doing that that uh, that contributes to you losing your salvation. So <clears throat> um, if if that's if the person believes that if it, if they believe that it's their continual action and works and their own doing that maintains their position with God then they are within a workspace religion they are, they no longer they have left the domain of God's grace and they have um left that uh, justification by faith alone um they have left these fundamental doctrines which are necessary uh, as luther said the church rises and falls on the doctrine of justification and I believe that those that do not believe that um, salvation was, uh, justification was accomplished as a forensic act in the past where they were justified through faith, and now they actually have peace with God, Romans 5.1. Uh, if they don't believe that, if they believe they can lose that position, and it's based upon what they do, then um, they don't have a biblical gospel. And at that point... Um, we would need to separate fellowship with them for ma for basically the same reason the reformers um, disfellowshipped with the Roman Catholic Church because the Roman Catholic Church would teach the exact same thing. They confuse justification and sanctification. They meld them together. They base justification off 
um, the performance of sanctification. And these are, while these two doctrines, justification and sanctification, are very closely related to one another, justification always precedes sanctification, and sanctification is always the result of true justification. Um, justification is not dependent upon sanctification. And it's not the result of sanctification. It is a past act done by God. And so I think that's where we need to break fellowship. And I cannot fellowship as a Christian with somebody who denies that the saints of God actually possess and have eternal life and that they will not perish. The Bible is so abundantly clear with that that um, I just I don't I don't believe that. Uh, that we can uh, fellowship with those that would affirm that. Now, do I do I believe that those all those who believe that they can lose their salvation are definitely not Christians? I I wouldn't go that far. Um, I would say that I would have a huge concern uh, on whether they are saved or not, um, because <laughs> they in fact do not necessarily believe that they really are saved. Uh, you're not saved. If you can uh, fall away based on uh, what you do. Um, MacArthur says something that I just think really hits it on the head. He says that if you could lose your salvation, you would. If we could lose our salvation, we would lose our salvation. If we recognize our own depravity, if we recognize the, the sinful state of our own heart and how... Jesus himself summed up all the commandments in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. If you don't perfectly do that all the time, then there's no grounds by which you can remain saved. This is why we need the continual mediation of Christ. This is why we need um, uh, the justification and the righteousness of God applied to our behalf. Because our own ability to continue in the faith and and have the righteousness necessary to have peace with God is not within ourselves it has to be an alien righteousness applied to us from God we we cannot meet the the standard the bible uh gives for us to live up to in fact uh we're told to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect be holy as he is holy we cannot be holy as God is holy. We cannot be perfect as he is perfect. But this is still God's standard. The standard, um, God's own righteousness is the standard because the standard is based upon God and not upon man's ability. The standard is not what is man capable of doing. The standard is God's absolute perfection. And God is not going to bring his standard down to human ability. Um, he would not remain just or good if that was the case. So <clears throat> so I think that this here is a essential doctrine upon which Christianity really even uh, rises and falls. And it is an essential doctrine uh, which must be believed um, in order to, to really uh, even uh, associate with somebody as, as a fellow Christian, I believe. So... Um, <clears throat> let's go into some scripture, um, that, uh, that talks about, um, the perseverance of God's saints and their security. 
In Philippians 1, verse 6, I'm going to read it in two different um, versions, both the NASB and the ESV. In Philippians 1, 6, it says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. And then he says, also in the NASB, uh, I like this here, it says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Um, and so Paul here has confidence that he who started the good work in us, and it is God who starts the good work in us, John six twenty nine. Um, it is the work of God that you believe. So it is God who started the work in us, and he is the one who will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. It's not us. It's the work of God within our life, and he will. And Paul had confidence that those that God had begun the good work in, that he would complete it. We also can see <clears throat> in Scripture that we are eternally perfected uh, by <clears throat> the atonement of Christ. In Hebrews 10.14, and this is just one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So all those who are being sanctified by God are, are being sanctified because they have been perfected for all time by that single offering of Christ. So the atonement of Christ on the cross, uh, Colossians 2.14, where he canceled the record of debt which was against us and nailed it to the cross. Um, in that act, he perfected all the saints of God, all the elect of God, for all time. And they cannot uh, do anything but be saved. They cannot... Um, have anything other than than eternal life because they have been perfected by the righteousness of God. Second uh, uh, Corinthians five twenty one it says, "For our sake he became sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." So our sin was transferred to Christ, and His righteousness was transferred to us, and that perfected us for all time. There is no possibility for us to lose that perfection. We have been perfected for all time. In um, <clears throat> the book of John, Jesus repeatedly says, and even the most famous verse, John 3.16, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So all the believing ones, all those who believe, will never perish and they will have eternal life. John 3.16 affirms the perseverance of the saints, affirms the security that the believer has as a result of believing and putting his faith and trust in Christ. Um, in John 5.24, uh, Jesus here is speaking, says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So notice here, that Jesus says that, that the one who hears his word and believes on him who sent me, believes on the Father, has eternal life. He doesn't say that they will have eternal life sometime in the future. <clears throat> no, it actually says that they possess eternal life. And they have actually, in that moment, they have passed from death to life. Uh, we, are now, we now have eternal life, and we have passed from death to life. We don't fall back into spiritual death again, uh, because if that was the case, then we would not have eternal life. Um, even Paul uh, says somewhere, and I'm 
trying to remember where this is, but uh, where we are already seated in the heavenly glories with him. Um, we are already seated with Christ even before we we die and we move on or um, where we get uh, transferred to the kingdom in the rapture. It, even before that, we are already seated in heavenly places with him. In John 6.35, and this is just a real definitive passage on on this, it says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. So notice he is the bread of life. Um, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Never thirst, and never hunger. Now, if your position is, is that those who believe will can at some point fall away where they will, will thirst again and they will hunger again, then um, you're missing the point that Jesus is giving. He says they'll never thirst and they will never hunger again. But I say, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So notice all those that come to Christ— run into no possibility of ever being cast out by Christ because they are saved. They already have eternal life for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And so notice that he will lose nothing. I don't know how Jesus can be any more clear. Um, he loses nothing of all that the Father has given him. If you've been given by the Father to the Son, you are secure. He loses nothing of all that the Father has given him, but raises it up on the last day. <clears throat> so notice here that the not losing all that the Father has given to him precedes him raising it up on the last day. So this precludes... Uh, somebody saying, well, once you're in heaven, you have no opportunity to be lost. No. Notice that he doesn't lose any of those that have been given to him, and then he raises them up on the last day. The not losing precedes them being raised up on the last day. It says, for this is the will of, the, of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him. So when we look on the Son in faith and we believe on the Son, in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. So for any of you out there, if you're not a Christian, look on the sun, believe on the sun, and I can assure you that you will find him to be a perfect savior, that he will perfectly save you, he will give you eternal life, and he will raise you up on the last day. So my plea and prayer would be for any of you guys listening out there that have not Put your faith and trust in Christ to do so today. Believe in the Son and look upon the Son, and you will, without any doubt, be raised on the last day. That is just a wonderful promise. John six forty seven. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Not they will have eternal life possibly sometime in the future. No, they actually possess eternal life. They have eternal life. John 6.51, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Not it might be possible that maybe he'll live forever. No, he actually will live forever. Who, whoever takes part of Christ, whoever 
eats of the flesh of Christ, who partakes in his crucifixion, who is crucified with Christ, uh, Romans 6.6. 6. Um, if we've been crucified with Christ, we will live. Uh, we will live forever. Uh, Jesus answered him um, in, this is in John 10.25. Um, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. He was speaking to the Jews here. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now, um, there's so much in this particular text of Scripture. We have here the the reason for the Jews that were not believing why they didn't believe. They were not among um, uh, Christ's sheep. Also, that his sheep do hear his voice. So this is why we go out and proclaim the gospel. We go out and proclaim the gospel because Christ's sheep will hear his voice. And what happens when they hear his voice? He gives them eternal life. They will not perish. Um, no one can snatch them out of his hand. And then he also tells us how they're also in the Father's hand. So we're in the hand of Christ and we're in the Father's hand and no one can snatch them out of uh, Christ and the Father's hand, the Son and the Father. The Son and the Father are both holding on to us. If we have faith and trust in Christ, they're holding on to us, they're preserving us. And here's the thing. When the creator of the universe is holding on to you and preserving you, you run into no possibility of being anything but saved. Um, this is why in Romans 8, verse 33, if I'm not mistaken, it says, Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So there's no possibility of any charge coming against us because it is God who has justified us. And so we are secure in the hands of the Father and of the Son. And... Um, he says here that no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. Then he says, I and the Father are one. Now, <clears throat> this is a text of Scripture that does demonstrate the deity of Christ. But it's not in the... Jesus was not, was not saying here in John 10.30 that him and the Father were ontologically one being, which they are. They are. They are both by nature God. They both share the nature and essence of God. Uh, Jesus is fully God. Um, and, and the Father is fully God. But what he's saying here is that him and the Father united as one in one will in the pres uh, preservation and the perseverance of the saints of God, those who have been given by the Father to the Son. They're united in um, a common work and have a united will in accomplishing the salvation of, of those that Christ came to save and those who were given by the Father to the Son. In um, Ephesians, uh, it, it tells us that we are sealed by God. Um, it says in Ephesians 1, verse 13, and this is after uh, that beautiful passage that begins in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1 where it goes on about how he has uh, predestined us, um, uh, 
in Christ, and it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So this here text completely refutes once again the idea that we are only secure once we are in heaven. Notice here that it says that in him you also, he's speaking to the believers here in Ephesus, when you heard the word of truth, then tells us what that truth is, it's the gospel of your salvation. So when you heard the gospel and you believed in him, you were at that moment sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, let's just look here. When God seals something, it cannot be broken. When God seals something, there is nothing it can possibly do but be sealed. And so it goes on to verse 14. If he's like, well, if you didn't get it, if you didn't quite get it that you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, let me just go ahead and add this. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? It's a guarantee. It can't, it cannot possibly not happen. Um, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? So notice that we are guaranteed our inheritance and that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, but we haven't acquired possession of it yet. We are still moving towards that. That eternal life in heaven is still something that we, we will, we're moving towards. But we have the guarantee. We have been sealed. We have eternal life already. We've already been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. And so <clears throat> the guarantee and the seal is preceding the actual um, inheritance that we receive in heaven to the praise of his glory. Um, in Ephesians 4.30 it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So notice that, once again, we can grieve the Spirit of God in our walk, in our sanctification, but he's in, entreating us and imploring us to not do that. And then, But then he gives us that promise, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So we are sealed until the day of the redemption of our bodies. Um, uh, the day that uh, Christ uh, comes back and takes his saints home. We are sealed until that day. So we cannot be anything but sealed. Um, if a charge could be brought against God's elect, then God's justification would have failed. In Romans 8.33, it says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. In Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So we have peace with God, and we have been justified by faith, and who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So if a charge could be brought against us, which would result in our eternal damnation in hell, then, then God's justification of us failed. May it never be so. When God determines to justify an individual, he most certainly does justify them because he justifies them based upon his own intention and his own will, not upon anything that they've done. But he purposes to do this from eternity past, and he most assuredly does accomplish it. It says, um, I just have another thing here. It says, if one of those who drew near to God through Christ was lost, then Christ's intercession and mediation for them must have failed. In Hebrews 7.25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, 
since he always lives to make intercession for them. So the writer of Hebrews is telling us here that that Jesus Christ is the perfect high priest because he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. So if you've drawn near to God through Christ, he is able to save you to the uttermost. Because, and here's the writer of Hebrews, he tells us why, since he lives always to make intercession for them. So Christ is interceding for us, and he never fails in his intercession. And so we will most assuredly be saved. Now, one of the verses that really, and this is the verse that uh, um, that actually brought me, myself, to the position of understanding that um, uh, we as Christians are secure in Christ. And I have not always believed that. In fact, I didn't believe that um, uh, right when I was saved. It was, it was a while after I was saved I began to believe how we now was inconsistent. I, I, I believed that I had eternal life, and, um, and I believed that I was justified by God through faith. But I still inconsistently believed that I could lose my salvation. And it was actually this verse that uh, that brought me to uh, to recognize and understand that. And it's kind of it's kind of interesting how God brings us to those uh, those times where we actually understand and we grasp it. And it will be sometimes a verse that's just kind of like um, you wouldn't think of that verse as being what brings us to that. But God uses his word in so many amazing ways and it never returns void. And um, uh, so that that's why I where I said that I was uh, I was a believer before I even believed in the security of the believer. And this is why I say we need to. Um, we cannot really fellowship with churches um, that that would deny this particular doctrine, but um, uh, there there can be genuine Christians within those groups. They're just inconsistent Christians, and uh, as they continue to grow in the Lord, uh, His Spirit will guide them into all truth, and so they will um, they will come to the point where they recognize that. Uh, which is what God uh, did so graciously with me. But this here was the verse that actually brought me to understand the security of the believer. And this is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. And he was speaking here, uh, the Apostle John here was speaking here to about those who had apostatized, those who had uh, left and they were opposed to Christ. And uh, he is explaining what happened there to these uh, believers. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, he says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Now, if anyone says, well, somebody was a genuine Christian, they believed in Christ, but yet then they abandoned the faith. Um, 1 John 2.19 refutes that. It says, if, it says they went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they been with us, been of us, they would have continued with us. So if somebody is a genuine believer and has a faith that has been given by God and they trust in Christ alone, there is no possibility they will ever stop trusting in Christ because 
that faith is a gift from God. It's God who perseveres them. And so if somebody abandons the faith, then they are um, the rocky soil or the thorny soil. They're not the uh, rich soil created by God on which his gospel, the seeds of his gospel fall, and they sprout and they produce uh, different amounts of fruit. Um, that uh, so, so those that uh, go out from us uh, is because they were not of us. And so <clears throat> it cannot be any more clear than that. So what I want to do next is now that we've gone through some of the scripture, and uh, if, if you want to go to the website and look up the, the article, Is Calvinism Biblical?, uh, you can go ahead and uh, there's many more scripture that we could have gone to, but I think that should suffice us uh, for today. Is um, we want to, uh, I, I want to kind of deal with some of the warning passages uh, that exist in scripture that is often used by those who deny the uh, the security of the believer and the perseverance of God's saints, those who deny that will often use these particular texts. Um, you have uh, Galatians 6, uh, Hebrews 6, and uh, there's also one in Corinthians about uh, those who have ship, shipwrecked their faith. Um, and so they will say, well, you know, the Bible warns us about falling away. And so therefore we can fall away and we can lose our salvation. Um, however, what they're doing is they are actually uh, engaging in a logical fallacy, and I want to uh, I want to point this out. So I'm going to go ahead and let's see here. Let me transition. Let me transition the screen here so you guys can see this. Um, and so <clears throat> I just put together a quick little PowerPoint presentation here. Uh, so that uh, we can work our way through this and so we can understand uh, what's going on here. So what I've noticed a lot when when it comes to those who deny the doctrines of grace, whether it is denying the perseverance of the saints of God or or God um, being the one who is uh, the cause of us believing, um, those who deny this uh, are almost always using a particular logical fallacy, the logical fallacy of affirming the consequent. And so I'm going to explain what that fallacy is and then go into how they are using it in these passages of Scripture. So the logical fallacy of affirming the consequent is a formal logical fallacy that confuses the directionality of if-then propositions. And so we're going to go through a, a an example that is um that is is more clear that can help uh um maybe you uh understand this and grasp this a little better. So I'm going to make a statement here uh, an if then statement and if everyone agrees that this is true then we can uh proceed. So if it is raining then the lawn is wet. Okay. If we can all agree that that is a true statement, a true if then statement then we can move forward with this. So I would hope that all of us could acknowledge this. If it is raining, then the lawn is wet. Yes, that's true. I've, I've never seen where it rained, but the lawn didn't get wet. Um, <clears throat> so we have the 
the antecedent clause, which is the if part of the statement. So we have it is raining is the antecedent. And the consequent is the lawn is wet. So uh, just make sure that uh, as we go through these examples, you'll see that I'm always going to make um, in this example the consequent yellow and the antecedent green. So here is um, a statement where we affirm the antecedent. So remember the antecedent is it is raining. So I'm saying it is raining. So I'm affirming the antecedent. Therefore, the lawn is wet. Now, is that a correct statement? Can I affirm the antecedent? Yes, I can affirm the antecedent, and it's not an illogical statement. If it is raining, therefore the lawn is wet, which this is just affirming the original statement. Um, it is not raining, therefore the lawn is not wet. So I'm going to deny the antecedent. I'm going to place a not statement before the it is raining. So it is not raining, therefore the lawn is not wet, which means I also have to deny the consequent. So is that correct or wrong? Can I deny the antecedent? Well, no, that statement is wrong because the lawn could be wet for other reasons. So it is not raining, therefore the lawn is not wet. Well, the lawn could be wet because the sprinkler system is on. The lawn could be wet because maybe a water truck drove by and exploded. Uh, maybe um, some firefighters were out... Um, uh, practicing their uh, their uh, fire line maneuvers, and they, you know, sprayed the lawn down. Uh, so there is many other reasons why the lawn could be wet other than it is raining. So to deny the antecedent does not therefore conclude that the lawn is not wet. So that is a that is wrong. That is a logical fallacy. It it is a logical fallacy to deny the antecedent. Okay. Let's look at the next statement here. So what we're going to do here is we're going to deny the consequent this time. So the lawn is not wet, so we're going to deny the consequent. Remember, the lawn is wet is the consequence, so we're going to deny it. The lawn is not wet, therefore it is not raining. Now, is that correct or wrong? Well, that's actually correct. If the lawn is w not wet, it's therefore not raining. Um, so that is a correct a correct conclusion. Now here is the one that um, that people make the most mistakes with, and this is affirming the consequent, which is what this uh, logical fallacy, um, the one that we're talking about here. So the lawn is wet, therefore it is raining. Is that correct? No, that's actually wrong because the lawn, as we talked about before could be wet for other reasons. So to affirm the consequent and therefore say that that determines and tells us that the antecedent is true um, is engaging in a logical fallacy. Let's actually see, I'm going to give you three examples of this. Let's see how evolutionists often use this particular logical fallacy. And you'll, you'll hear this. Uh, I've actually heard this exact argument made by evolutionists and they don't realize that they are affirming the consequent. They're, they're engaging in a logical fallacy. So they will, they will make the statement, if there was a common ancestor, then DNA would be similar between living organisms. 
Now, I can affirm that statement. If there was a common ancestor, then DNA would be similar between living organisms. I can affirm that. That is a true statement. Um, That is a true if-then statement. But let's look to see what evolutionists will do. They will say DNA is similar, so they're going to affirm the consequent. Remember, our consequent is DNA would be similar between living organisms. They're going to affirm that DNA is similar between living organisms. Therefore, there is a common ancestor. Well, this is wrong. They're affirming the consequent. And so, therefore, um, uh, this is a logical fallacy. See, here's the thing. If there was a common designer, then DNA would also be similar between living organisms. So, you know, we could make the argument DNA is similar between living organisms. Therefore, there is a common designer. Well, I don't make that argument as a Christian because that's a logical fallacy. That is affirming the consequent. Okay, well, let's see um, how those who deny um, the doctrines of grace will use this fallacy. And we're going to use it in two cases. So they'll make the statement, if man believes God from his own libertarian free will, then the Bible would tell man to believe. I can affirm that statement. That is true. If man does have libertarian free will, and he believes God from his own libertarian free will, uh, and it was God's desire for men to believe in him, then the Bible would tell man to believe. I, I don't have any problem with this statement. This is a true statement. If man believes God from his own libertarian free will, then the Bible would tell man to believe. Absolutely. That is a true statement. Okay, but let's see how those who deny the doctrines of grace will often use Um, that particular statement. They'll say, the Bible tells men to believe, therefore, man believes from his own libertarian free will. Well, this is affirming the consequent. This is wrong. This is a logical fallacy. You'll most often encounter this logical fallacy with even John 3.16. You know, they'll say, well, whosoever believes, well, Yeah, I actually believe whosoever believes will have eternal life also. I have no problem with John 3.16, and I'm Reformed. The point is you're assuming that that, you're assuming that man can believe from his libertarian free will, and then you're saying that because the Bible says whosoever believes will have eternal life, you're affirming the consequent. You're saying that that proves that man has libertarian free will. No, it doesn't. That affirms the consequent. See, here's another statement that's true. If the Bible is the means by which God calls his regenerated elect, then the Bible would also tell man to believe, right? So you're simply assuming your position that um, because the Bible tells men to believe, and if they believe, they have eternal life, and you're saying that that affirms that man has libertarian free will, You're simply assuming that to be true, and then you're using affirming the consequent to affirm your assumption. It's a circular argument, and um, it's begging the question, and it's also affirming the consequent. So you haven't proven that the Bible teaches that man has libertarian free will. In fact, the Bible explicitly denies that man has libertarian free will. Jesus said he who is a slave to sin, uh, he who commits sin is a slave to sin. 
Uh, Romans 8, 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Um, man does not have libertarian free will. The Bible explicitly denies it. So your assumption of it, and then you affirm it with the consequent, is not a valid and rational argument. So if the Bible is the means by which God calls his regenerated elect, then the Bible would also tell man to believe. Okay, well, let's look at the argument that people make about us losing our salvation. They will say, if a saved person could lose their salvation, then the Bible would warn men not to fall away. That is a true statement. I agree with that. If a saved person could actually lose their salvation, then the Bible would warn men to not fall away. I agree with that statement. That is a true statement. I don't agree that a saved person can actually lose their salvation, but if a, it's an if statement, if a saved person could lose their salvation, the Bible would probably warn men not to fall away. Okay, well, let's look at it. This is what they will do. They'll say, the Bible warns men to not fall away, therefore, a saved person could lose their salvation. This will be their argument. Well, that is, once again, affirming the consequent. It is wrong. It is an invalid argument. Because, once again, if the Bible is the means by which God preserves his regenerated elect, which the Bible actually tells us it is that way, it says in Romans chapter 10, it says, how will they hear unless somebody preaches to them? Um, in, uh, in John 10, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. They know me and they follow me. So this is the word of God. The, the Bible is the word of God, and it is the means by which God calls and perseveres his regenerated elect. So if the Bible is the means by which God per perseveres and uh, his regenerated elect, then the Bible would warn men not to fall away, correct? So there can be, therefore, more than one reason for why the Bible would could possibly warn men to uh, not fall away. So to affirm the consequent and say that this validates that a saved person can genuinely fall away and lose their salvation is engaging in the logical fallacy of affirming the consequent. So uh, hopefully uh, that puts those particular arguments to bed, but I doubt it actually will. Uh, people will still argue um, that uh, you can actually genuinely lose your salvation. But um, if that is true, then you have to be working for your salvation, and it's no longer by grace. Uh, we have been saved by grace through faith, and it is not our own doing. It is the gift of God. Praise God. Thank you for joining us today, and um, join us uh, next week. And uh, I'm not even sure what the topic's going to be next week, but uh, hopefully you enjoyed this series. This is the last of the Doctrines of Grace. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. God bless. Don't you know that the unjust Will not inherit God's kingdom And through 